0: You're fed up with the nine-to-five, you've been working hard for years, and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from the traditional career, but don't know how. Business Breaks is here to help. Hello audience, this is Business Breaks with your co-hosts John Byrne and Dante Healy. Today's topic is based on consultants and how to get value from the engagements as a client. So consultants can be a hugely valuable but also expensive resource for your business. You need to get them focused because if they're on the wrong projects and especially in things they're not best placed to do, you could end up wasting money. However, if you focus them on what they do best, on are serious problems that you need to have resolved, but you can't do it easily or quickly yourself then you have a basis for a win-win. So consultants themselves are people who provide their expertise in exchange for a fee. And whilst other industries struggle, the consulting industry is predicted to grow by an anticipated compound annual growth rate of 9.2%. Due to growing demand for business rearranging their operations and due to economic challenges, Whilst other industries will tend to struggle in these times, consulting continues to grow and is anticipated to grow globally from $892 billion last year to a whopping $1.32 trillion by 2026. So this poses both risks and challenges for businesses looking to get value for money. John, if you would like to start your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I suppose one of the key things with, with consultants is what exactly is a consultant and what exactly is consulting? Because when you look at, you know, so many of them do so many other things. There's advisors, mentors, coaches, trainers, outsourced service providers. Consultants, while often want to do all of those other things, will usually do one or, or more of those other things as well. So it becomes kind of consulting is almost a catch-all for All of those types of things. And one of the key challenges, I suppose, as a client and as a consultant is making sure that if you're going to hire a consultant, you are hiring somebody who does what you actually want them to do. And you've communicated clearly to them what you want them to do. And the consultant themselves should obviously in the, you know, initial discussions, be finding out, making sure what exactly it is you want of the consultants. Do you you just want somebody to come in and consult for a specific problem? Or do you want somebody to actually fix that problem for you? Because there's a big difference between telling you how to fix a problem in the best way and the best options and actually doing it for you. Generally, consulting would not do it for you. They'll tell you how to do it. If you want them to do it for you, then that's an outsourced service. Make sure the consultant is aware of that. Even if they don't do the outsourced part themselves, they'd probably be able to subcontract to to get that done for you but only if they know that's what you're expecting if if that's what you're expecting and it's not communicated it'll be a failure because they'll give you a great plan but they won't do it for you and that's what you're expecting and they also won't train you unless you've
0: specifically told them you want training and how to do it you don't want them to do it but you want them to show you how as opposed to just tell you how that makes sense and From what I gather from what you just said, you could really end up wasting a lot of money if you're not managing consultants like any other overhead. Not that they're overhead, they could be a valued resource, but they're external. They're people who are coming in to do work that in theory you may be able to do in-house, but not as well. Or maybe you don't have the skill set within your existing team or organization or not the time. Because everything can be a priority. You want to have both high growth and low cost. And it's really, whilst you're focusing on one, you may be neglecting other aspects that also need to be addressed. Because successful businesses, they usually tend to be not just good at one thing these days, but have to be good at many things.
1: I suppose that a consultant is, is kind of a shocker. As you said, you, you, you may ha- have the internal expertise, but not the experience. You know, you you uh, you have a team who, for example, say marketing, you have a marketing team, they are able to do marketing. But, you know, a consultant may just have some experience in your industry that they don't have. And instead of them doing a lot of trial and error, which is what marketing is, the consultant can come in and it's still going to be trial and error, but the consultants will hopefully Speed up that process. If even if a, a campaign is failing, they'll recognize it's failing quicker and can pivot to a different thing. So it's the speed part it, it, it is is the key, I think, to what a consultant is. That yes, you may be able to to do it yourself, but it'll take you a long time to get up to speed and to to do all the, the various things. The consultants will hopefully already have all that expertise, have all that knowledge and and experience, and be able to get you there quicker. But then, you know, the, the key, I suppose there's there's three key areas I can see where consultancy fails. One is, well, as I said at the start, you know, making clear what it is you want. If you haven't got time to do something, you're hiring a consultant. Is, is a consultant telling you the best way to do something and, and, and what you should be doing really going to free up any time for you? You still won't have time to implement it. So what you need is a consultant who's going to also outsource and do the work. But you need to be clear on the beginning. If you're not clear on that at the beginning, you've just wasted a lot of money getting this great plan from a consultant that you don't have time to do. The other issue, we're coming from a background ourselves as consultants, so you kind of don't want to acknowledge sometimes that it can happen, but it can happen that you just have a bad consultant who does not give you good value. That's the second. I, I you know, from experience in industry where we hired consultants in the past, I have to admit, that has never happened. I'm sure it happens. It almost definitely happens, but we never come across it. And the, the biggest, the biggest waste of money from a client hiring consultant that I, I've come across is they get this great report, all the this stuff and they file it. They just put it in the filing cabinet and we'll never go back to it. Never look at it. You kind of, why did you just, they're not committed basically. So, you know, you, you need to be committed. That you're going to implement the changes or the, the, whatever it is that the consultant has, has done. If you're not going to implement them, if you don't trust the consultants, then don't hire them and be sure that you've communicated to consultant exactly where it is you want. You know, if you haven't got time to do something and you want them to actually do it for you, then you you need to make that clear to them so that they know this work is being outsourced to them. And they later turn you down and say, no, I don't do outsourced work, or they'll, you know, most likely even if they don't do outsourced work, though, if they know that's what you want, they'll find somebody who does, and they might manage them as a subcontractor for you. But yeah, that they, so they're the two biggest, I suppose, is people, you know, hiring a consultant to do the wrong thing for them, or just filing away the report at
0: the end and not actually acting on it, not being committed enough to act on it. Then boils down to ownership from the client. Because ultimately, they're the ones who are making the decision to bring a consultant in in the first place. They need to be able to say, we know we have this problem and it's worth this much for us to solve for it. We know we have a gap, so we need to select as consultant. And that consultant will be not just the first one that they pull out of a directory. They'll go to market. They'll ask questions. They'll make inquiries. Right. So they'll have hopefully a specific remit of the outcomes that they want or at least a clear problem statement that says this is our pain point. We don't know how to solve for it. We don't know what the root cause is, because maybe that's the issue is sniffing out the root cause and then letting the business take over. But at the same time, we also have how do you manage the consultant once you've selected them? So I've seen some horrible mistakes from businesses where they bring in consultants and because they're large organizations, they have their own internal structures. Consultants haven't got access to the internal institutional tools or relationships. They need to be onboarded like any other, shall we say, employee in the sense that even for That temporary period, they need to know what's going on in the business. They need to witness what's happening so they can make a proper assessment. And sometimes if you're not thinking about the whole process from beginning to end, and maybe that's part of the problem (laughs) why you'd bring in a consultant is because it's not that clear. (laughs) So yeah, that's probably something that you need to consider as well is how easy is it for a consultant to hit the ground running so when expectations meet reality there's not this massive disconnect and the client's not left feeling remorse and it might not be the consultant's fault that they're caught out shall we say
1: then you've also got buy-in you know that the client needs to have there's only so much a consultant can do obviously consultants will want to uh, you know, make a good impression on the, the key players, the, the key stakeholders in the consultancy to get them to buy in. But sometimes a consultant can be brought in and there's no buy in at all. In fact, there's absolute actual aggression towards them. I did have a, a role previous where we, we were, you know, putting in the EPM system and we were getting all the modules lined up. And you know, one of the recommendations would normally be and, and was actually going to be in this case to have a single EPM that could do a large chunk of things that were needed. And when we got to to one of the modules was for a particular team and that manager of that team was just, we ended up not going with that module. So they have their own system completely separate to EPM, just purely because it was not worth the political battle. It would have failed if I'd have pushed it with the leadership to try and get, you know, our system that we were recommending in for, for that area, it would have failed because that manager would have made sure it failed, because he just did not. And it was nothing wrong with our It would, he he didn't even give it a uh, viewing. If you know, what I mean, we we set up a demonstration. The the vendor of the EPM that was being used everywhere else was it was a an hour and a half meeting. I think that was booked in. You know, it was done online. And he showed up, announced at the beginning of it, he only had 30 minutes and then he was going. He'd never mentioned that in any of the previous things. And at the end of the 30 minutes announced, yeah, it all looks good. But we're sticking with what we've got and left. That was, it wasn't even something he would consider. Nothing that consultants can do there, Al- albeit I was the consultants in that situation. So maybe I'm making excuses. But when somebody has got their their mindset on it like that, that there was no consideration given so a business needs to uh, make sure that doesn't happen, that, that things are at least considered by the management because there's not a lot of consultant can do in a situation like that if a manager is not going to even consider what the solutions that the consultants are, are giving are. Again, that that's um, another, you know, a, a, an unusual situation, I would say. You know, it's the only time I've ever come across that where th- there was no consideration given at all. Obvi- obviously, there'll be times where they, they'll take it, your your second or your tour recommendation they won't you know you, you'll give your recommendations and they won't want to force them for whatever reason they'll go with the second or the tour or maybe they'll just decide no at the end of the day when we've seen it all we've decided to stick with what we've got you need to at least consider what the consultant is <laughs> is going up and to give it a fair uh, look and make sure that all managers are doing that that you don't have consultants can't deal with political infighting in a company so you need to make sure that there is no or it's a minimal Amount of political infighting. I know that, you know, you can't really avoid that in some companies, but that's something to, to watch out for as well. That can cause a, a consultancy to fail. Now, as in our case, it didn't fail. We just left them with the system they had and everything else is using another system. Where will that come back to hurt them? probably nowhere the main place would be only if people were internally transferring from one team to another suddenly they have to get licenses switched from one system to another and training on it but it's not a huge deal you know that the two systems basically did the exact same thing the only reason we were saying to them to move was to have one system across the company to make it easier for licensing and stuff like that other than that there was no functionality the two systems work exactly the same way Which was why it made it so surprising that he didn't even consider the feudal system. But you know, it is where it is. I'm sure you've got plenty of experience that yourself. Of of I have a few stories
0: as well. Yeah, it reminds me of the expression. Actually, it's a very famous saying from Solomon: "All problems are people problems, and most of those problems are because people don't behave like people." Yeah, politics can get in the way, especially if you've got an overly political senior manager who just wants to stamp their authority because it wasn't their idea, they're going to resist it as much as possible. Yeah, there's loads of stories about that. People who have uh, built empires who don't want their empires demolished because of cost-saving alternatives, even though it will be to the benefit of the business, even shaving off several figures off their operating cost annually. But... They don't want it because they want to have their army of direct reports because it's a status symbol. Just thinking about it as well. There was one guy who's an agile coach, and he mentioned that he struggles to not audibly sigh when the CEO says to him, look, we've brought you in here to make us more agile. And I don't care what you do, but I just want to see my Gantt chart every month. But it's it's not just about coming to that point. It's not just about politics and naturally resisting, but also, well, I guess it is naturally resisting because people don't like change. And that could be for a number of reasons. Could be the fear of the unknown, that you don't want to upset the balance, the current status quo, even if it's declining. It could be a lot more riskier if you don't know what you're doing or you're not sure if this will yield any benefits at the other side. Could be quite risky. Um There could be cultural misalignment, I guess. It's just uncomfortable. It just boils down to extra effort. And a lot of the consultants, fellow consultants I speak to, they tend to have this view of employees, some of them actually, that I wouldn't say it was laziness, but they don't have the same level of hustle that a consultant would. Some consultants see it as a badge of honor to be working all the weekends in order to get things done, late nights, heroics. Emails way past midnight, <laughs> and you just think, Well, you're very smart people, and the way you command a room, especially at senior levels, and navigate the emotions sometimes it can be very emotionally charged. And keeping your head whilst focusing on the issues is an admirable trait. I've seen it in very high stakes situations, or at least what appears to be a high stakes situation, but at the same time. If you don't have work-life balance you must be working at a pretty modest shall we say hourly rate when you think about it and there's there may be coming back to value so we've covered the fact that making the environment optimal shall we say for success
1: at at least don't have a hostile make sure that Mm -hmm. there's there's no hostility to the consultant which probably just comes down to communication you know if, if you're a business leader thinking of bringing in a consultant for something Communicate that with your staff. Don't just bring in a consultant and, and say to everybody, here's this consultant. He's going to change everything for us for, for the better. Because that will make people very nervous and will increase the hostility because what is this consultant? Why are they here? What are they doing? Is my job safe? Are they changing things now? I, I, I'm comfortable with what I've got. Are they going to make it all uncomfortable now? So as a business leader, make sure the business users are going I know the consultant is coming and are at least accepting of it and might not be happy with it, but at least, you know, if the communication is there, the consultant is coming in and it's not just being introduced. That that's the first thing to realize that there was a problem <laughs> that needs to be sorted so that the consultant's coming in and, and it's to help the business users.
0: At least it's at best a minor annoyance because it's an extra workload on top of what they're already doing. At worst, it could be an existential threat So, yeah, I think from the top, support has to extend to not just empowering the consultant to actually approach employees, but also managing that expectation and, again, setting them up for success by giving them a brief, giving them as much information up front about the business to the extent you can, and then allowing them enough direction so that they can target the areas which need to be analysed and assessed in order to draw out those insights and enable them to make those recommendations and possible follow-up actions. And
1: then once you've kind of done that, then it's up to the consultants to make the key stakeholders that they need on board feel comfortable with them, you know, but at least at the beginning, if there's no shocks, no surprises about this consultant's coming on board, people know what it is, even if they don't particularly think change is needed. The consultants can, can, you know, help them see that it can be good things. I mean, like, you know, one of the examples that I've done in the past is again, it was, a, it was an EPM system and it was the company had using Excel, using spreadsheets, a system in place that they could use. It was broken. It didn't work properly. It needed a lot of manual intervention, but the thing was the business users knew what that manual intervention was and were comfortable doing it. It was a lot of work for them every month-end doing it, but they knew what they were doing, even if it was time-consuming. So they were a little iffy about the, you know, the recommendations coming in for, for an EPM. They already had an EPM, but it was the last part. It was just using it for the reporting. So we weren't changing the EPM. We were saying, look, this EPM that you've got is a lot more powerful than what you're using it for. The stuff that you're doing offline that's taking you all this time, we can put that into the EPM and allow it to happen in the EPM. You know, initially they were a little nervous about that because as I said, even though they knew and they acknowledged that their current system was broken, they knew how, where it was broken and how to fix it every month. Moving into the EPM, they weren't sure, well, we know how to do this every month. So it was just getting them, you know, a few demos, showing them how it would work, taking a couple of examples, things like that. But that was my job. That was the consultant's job to make them feel comfortable where, but the leadership had done their job at the beginning by pointing out to them i was coming in to help them i wasn't coming in to help the leadership get rid of them and and that was truth because there was no there were no job savings What it really meant was when it went when it went live that instead of them having to pull 16 hour shifts every quarter end for about a week or sorry every month end for about a week every month you know they'd be walking till after midnight and that with the system the way we got it in and we got it up and running and, and off it meant their month end was not much busier than the rest of their months that they had a work life balance. They, they had a life and they were very happy with it at the end. And that's, I think a key thing. Um, if you're bringing in a consultant for whoever it is that that consultant's being brought in for, they need to be on board with it, that. They, you know, at least will give the consultant a try that a CEO bringing in a consultant. You gave an example in a private conversation we had before about a marketing consultant being brought in without by a CEO with a new marketing director. In place and the marketing director thought it was a complete waste of money. It kind of, the CEO was bringing him in, didn't consult, didn't, you know, give, to, take any account of the marketing director's uh, input. I, I would imagine that was, you know, a failure of a consultancy because the consultant was off to a bad start from the beginning. He was going to be undermined by the person he was actually trying to help.
0: And I think, yeah, that's more indicative of something quite fundamental in an organization. If there's. This cultural issue of communications not flying freely and therefore people's imaginations run rampant. Whereas if you're um, explaining the rationale up front, look, it's not that we want to get rid of you, but we clearly see there's a resourcing issue. We don't want to hire in more people to do the same thing. We want you to do it better. And this digital platform will enable you to have that work-life balance because really in this day and age, With transactions being digital, you shouldn't have to be working till midnight to close the books or at least produce analysis. So it's, it really beggars belief to think that accounting's accounting departments and finance teams would still struggle to close the books unless they have these broken manual systems that require manual work. And it's probably just manual data entry, which then opens up a whole raft of risks as you can imagine. And it's funny coming back to. Digital tools, a lot of it, some of what we've spoken about has been on the strategic side. So you have a strategic engagement where you do an analysis, you make recommendations, but there's also the execution part, which is where we play in, where we're leading or managing or even analyzing a project to deploy a a new system, which will have benefits for the employees, not necessarily cost savings, although sometimes, you know, you have to justify the investment, and that invariably means reducing costs, some form of rationalization. But at the same time, you also have the improvement to employee morale, redeploying skill capacity in other areas that can actually add value by taking out manual tasks that should be automated, and then allowing people to Apply their creativity and their mental, shall we say, cognitive capacities towards solving those business problems and understanding where the business is going and thinking ahead rather than focusing on the past and actually doing, shall we say, I think it was, um again, coming back to a consultant. Someone did some time study measurements and found out that 60% of the work was actually preparing data in an FP&A department rather than actually analysing it. So again, maybe it's higher, maybe it's lower in other companies. It all varies. But I think the tools are there and some of them aren't that expensive, but you need to have the proper processes in place. And that's also backed by Attitudes and mindset.
1: Well, there are plenty of tools. There's almost too many of them, but that can be what, what you're bringing into consultant for to, to see, you know, what is the best tool that we should be using? What are the best processes? I, I know there's, um, research a uh, uh, Dr. Dunning, I think it was close enough to the 80-20 rule principles where his was 85-15. And what, what he found in his research was that when there are problems with a process, 85% of the time, the problem is actually with the process itself. And only 15% of the time is it with the people doing the process. So if there's a problem with your process, the first thing to look at is the actual process itself. Is there one? Is it fit for corpus? Not the people. It's not generally. It's not the people are not doing a good job. It's the process is not fit for corpus. So that's, and, and that's, you know, large what you'd be bringing in a consultant
0: for to have a look at that process and see if they can improve it. So um, shake up the status quo in other words.
1: It can be. I mean, it could be just a matter of tweaking the process. It might not be necessarily shaking up. But then again, it could be a case of you've, you have no process at all. So you are shaking up by putting a process in place because that can happen. There'll always be a process. Did it just happen because people just did whatever they had to do to get their job to get to the end line? And whatever way it's, it's a very poor system that they did, but they get to the end line. So then somebody's coming in and saying, well, hang on a second. This is your starting point. This is your end line. Here's a much better consistent process that reduces the variance from month to month or from you know project to project or depending on, on what it is exactly the process supposed to do but most of the time as i said with, with that research that was done Dunning, doctor doing 85 percent of the time it's the process is the problem not the people and you know that's the obvious thing to be bringing in a consultant to help fix but the key thing is make sure that the people who are doing that process or whatever it is that's going to be you know the working on are aware as to what he's coming in he's not coming in to try and get rid of them all because so that's what goes through you know people's minds when, when if, if somebody's just landed in on top of them and they, they weren't expecting it so you know if you want the success of consulting communicate with your own staff make sure they're all on board with it to help because there's only so much a consultant can do part of their job is to bring people with them but they need people to be willing to to at least hear them out in the beginning and that's up to the business to make sure that everybody's willing to hear out the consultants before you know landing or and then i suppose the other key thing is make sure that there's a knowledge transfer hiring a consultant if the consultant just gives you a you know is almost like a black box consultant that you have no idea what they've done, how they've done it, why they've done it. And then they give you some recommendations and you don't know what the backup for those recommendations are. You know, you you may have successfully for that period of time gotten a solution. But if, if, if things need to be tweaked later on, you don't know how you need to go back to the consultant or another consultant. That's not really good. That's, you know, leaving you prone to... The consultants, you know, that you almost have to keep them on as a retainer indefinitely in case you ever need that and change. And so make sure there's a knowledge transfer that they've explained. Maybe you will want to keep them on. You will want to outsource the work to them or have them as an ongoing advisor or mentor or whatever. But that should be your choice. Make sure there's a a knowledge transfer over so that if you have the internal capacity to, to do it, you can and you can make the tweaks as needed in the future. You don't have to keep
0: going back to the consultant. And that's, that's a really important point because from the consultant side, they want to continue to grow that relationship with that client. They don't want the client thinking, well, that's it. I'm going to move on to the next consultant when I've, when I've got another job on the go. Because, yeah, the whole client experience is based around what benefit did I get and how long did it last for? Now, there may be some elements of that where whoever the consultant is training may not have the aptitude, like your example with the senior manager they may for various reasons be unteachable. They just don't want to accept it. But at the same time, the effort has to be made. And I guess it's down to whoever's sponsoring the consulting project to make sure that there is that knowledge transfer as part of the engagement. And then whether the employees or whoever needs to know, take on this new skill set, brings it forward and then to the benefit of the business moves that another step, then at least they've done the work and yeah coming back to the ownership from the actual client itself they've made sure that that box was checked and they're not just thinking a specific problem they're actually thinking well beyond that how does this benefit us? Because that's where you get your return on your investment.
1: Exactly, and and even if your decision is we are going to outsource, so, so say if it's a, a, a website design, you know you're bringing in consultants to tell you how best to do it, you know all the SEO, all the rest of it, and your intention is you know well we haven't got the internal capabilities to create a website, we're also going to outsource. So when this consultant comes in, we like what we hear, we're going to get them to do it for us, whether it's them personally coding or whether it's their company or whether they. Subcontracts, you know, could be whatever, but we we'll get them to do it. That's that's fine. And that's a perfectly legitimate thing to do. But you still want the knowledge transfer. You you want to know what it is they're recommending, why and, and what, the, you know, the get a proper report from them. Because even if you're going to then outsource to them your website, in, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. You might want to change in the future. You might want to bring it internal. You might want to switch to a different provider, service provider, whatever you You want to have the documentation there to show this is what you had this is why you had it you know to be able to hand that over and and the same for for any other type of consultant, just make sure there is a knowledge transfer, even if your intention is to get the consultant to do the work you know make sure though that you know what work they're doing and why that you could easily go somewhere else if you had the you know if you had the internal resources, you could do it internally or you could go to a different service provider if you wanted. Make sure you're at that level, even if your intention is to stick with the consultant.
0: funny you mention websites because there's a great case study called Hertz versus Accenture where Accenture tried to deliver a website that never went live, but Hertz incurred, I think it was $32 million in fees and it never went live. It was funny (laughs) because I think it was back in 2019 that appeared in the news when Hertz actually filed a lawsuit probably middle of the year. And really, it did a lot of reputational damage for Accenture, probably highly embarrassing because I heard that during the lawsuit, they plowed a lot of money in to defend the case. And it's probably more than just the engagement fee on their side. So you've got a nine billion dollar company facing off against, I don't know. I think it's $40 billion Accenture was worth at the time. Yeah, it can go, it can all go wrong, but they cited things like poorly documented code or not even documented. And in the end, Accenture wanted to charge a further $10 million to finish off the website, but Hertz decided, no, we're going to go with IBM. And apparently during the court, court notes because I remember scanning through them, IB there was a big hoo-ha about Accenture trying to access IBM's code and and project documentation because when they finished the website they wanted to compare the quality of their work with the quality of IBM, but IBM was saying, no, we've got these internal processes and ceremonies, it's RIP. We have a confidentiality agreement, we're not going to release them. (laughs) But funnily enough the case ended without prejudice both parties agreed to withdraw the case and that was because Hertz went bankrupt because you know it was going on till 2021 and obviously Covid hit the car rental business so Hertz filed for bankruptcy and they're back so you know bankruptcy doesn't necessarily mean (laughs) that you your business is finished it means you basically get a haircut with your creditors And that's another thing, probably another topic of discussion. What does worst case scenario mean? Because yeah, they're actually. I read a think an article saying that they're back stronger than ever, emerging from bankruptcy, raising I think it was a billion dollars in new funding. So yeah, but for the consultant, they don't have. If they're good, they don't have any. They don't have any desire to ruin their brand reputation because that's their value. And and therefore, they should be unless they're really being poorly managed. And because there's a lot of big brand consultants that are very broad in organization, they'll have different managers in different branches and probably slightly varying degrees of quality in terms of the composition of their processes, structure and their teams. So it's very hard to maintain that big brand if there's too much variation but I guess coming back to probably the business side of things, I do wonder, and we'll never know because we weren't there, how much of it Accenture probably blamed it on maybe late changes to scope, changes in direction, not having a, a clear remit. And again, maybe the Accenture consultants weren't managed properly, like they were left to get on with it and they tried and floundered. So again, Probably, as you say, when you have a website, you have to have a clear specification of work. It, it should be clearly documented. What is the goal? And if you're bringing in developers, they need to be of a suitable quality, and they need you need to confirm that they know what they're trying to achieve.
1: The key thing is that you, you know you need that. Even if your intention is to have the consultants do the website, you still need it. As if assume you're going to do the website internally, or you're going to go to a different uh, coder to do the website. Make sure that documentation is there that would allow them to do the website from the consultant. Regardless of whether the fact is that you're going to have the consultant do the website for you. Don't take a shortcut. Don't think, oh well, if he's going to be doing the website for me, then I don't need to get this level of detail from knowledge transfer from him because they're doing the website. Make sure you still have that there, just in case. Um, and also just avoid something like that. That you know. The consultant realizes that they actually don't know you know they, they got the wrong idea and it's it's they've already done loads of coding in that because nobody ever seen the knowledge transfer documents handed over to be able to review them and so, so do make sure that and then you know any kind of consulting make sure there's some kind of knowledge transfer that don't leave it all as just a black box that the consultant has come in and implemented a solution and left and you don't know exactly what the solution you just know it worked but you don't know where it was because if it stops working in the future, you know, you're, you're stuck. You need to go back to that consultant or you need to start from scratch and bring in another consultant. What you want to do is see, get, get the knowledge transfer, what the solution was, how it worked, why it worked, why it was proposed, why it was recommended. And that way then, if it stops working in the future, chances are it only needs to tweak. You know, there's not a big job. You can do tweak internally almost once you have the, the knowledge transfer. So, um, you know, that, that gets the, the best value out of a. Consulting thing and, and consultants that do that tend to be the ones that end up staying on as an advisor or as a mentor or, or as a coach. Um, you know, to, to for the long term, because they've done such a good job at the knowledge transfer that their business trusts them and wants to keep them on in some capacity.
0: Exactly. And I think you can't completely walk away from it as a client. You have to take some degree of ownership. You have to make sure that the consultants are actually on track with what they're supposed to deliver and just sense check because they need to know that they're actually achieving in line with your expectations. But you have to have some expectations. You have to have some goals. And if you're feeling uncomfortable about the direction of the where the work is going, you have to put your hand up and say, look, can we have a conversation? I think it could be improved by going this direction. Have you considered these things? And maybe they'll dismiss it and say, no, we're the experts. Leave it with us. But at least, again, if you have that and it boils down to relationships, right? If you have that trusting relationship, you won't be afraid to say what's on your mind and communication has to be there. And that's the other thing about the best consultants. They're great communicators, but it has to go both ways. Communication is about this thing and maybe even to an extent going beyond that proactively seeking that feedback you
1: know again it comes down to commitments the the client sometimes i think that you know a client company may be 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 tricked into thinking by hiring the consultants they can wash the hands of of whatever the problem is go away and then you know three months later at the end of the consultancy the consultants will have a solution and can implement it and and that's it done that's not how it'll ever work not successfully um There needs to be commitment by the client to, uh, you know, for a start to actually implement the solution, (laughs) you know, that you can't, you need to, you know, it might be work, it might be effort, it it might not be what you were originally thinking. But, um, if, if you've gone, you know, with the consultants, they should be making recommendations. They should be able to convince you that their recommendations are what's best. And, and, you know, but you need to be committed to that. If they do that you will implement it fully because that's it you know as i said at the beginning that that's the biggest waste I've, i see with, with consultancies is just they get a report and they file it and it's never looked at again um, and, and a lot of these things when it comes to processes and, and various things a lot of these the, the consultants will give you a living document you know this is it now as things stand but you need to continually update this document you need to review it every quarter or every six months or whatever or and update it for the latest things If you want to get your money's worth out of consultant, then you need to actually do that. You know, otherwise all the great money you spent on them, it's, or or it's out of date six, 12 months later because they gave you a living document and you didn't keep the living document. And then, you know, 12 months, 24 months later, you need to hire another consultant or the same one again to come in and do the exact same work again to update the processes or to, you know, to do it. That's a waste of money. If they, if they give you a living document use it and keep it and update it. That's what they've given it to you for. And they should give you the knowledge transfer to be able to do that. Um, and as you said, then, you know, manage them, meet with them regularly, have have things, even if you don't particularly want to be involved in the, the nitty gritty stuff. That's the level of commitment you need to have to make sure that the consultant is comfortable, that they're not running into problems themselves,
0: trying to figure it out. And, uh, you know, everybody's on the same page. Yeah, it just makes life a whole lot easier. And another thing that makes life a whole lot easier is setting those expectations out and laying them out from the start of the engagement, even before the engagement. So you have to have clear measurables. So, for example, I want to improve my net sales by 10% year on year, or I want to be able to cut my costs by 20%. There has to be something tangible at the end of it. Maybe not within a specific time frame like by the end of the engagement but something that visibly moves them in that direction so that within the following year or so they've actually achieved that objective and again that's all about clearly articulating what do you want from the engagement up front and then being able to see who's best placed to deliver that for you
1: like I, I I've gotten I've hired. Hey, the end of last year i I hired a marketing consultant, and what she was to do, which she did was give a strategy because I'm not good at marketing, <laughs> so you know she gave me a marketing strategy, which she did she gave me a nice report, we walked through it, she did the knowledge transfer, she made sure I understood everything that was in it and what to do and that and I took that report from her, and I did implement some of the stuff. I wasn't good or, you know, it was to do a content marketing was what she recommended for the type of work I do and to get the branding done and, you know, a brand kit and all that. And it was all spelled out, all the knowledge transfer was there. And I I took her away and I was going to do it myself. Did parts of it myself. And I looked at it and I said, this is not good. So at that stage then, I, I decided I'd outsource it. But the thing is, she gave me the knowledge transfer. I knew everything I needed to do. I tried to, I was going to do it myself internally realized I didn't have the time and I didn't have the skill set to do everything that was on it. But I could have gone to anybody then with that report and said, this is what I want. And they'd have been able to take it from there because she gave me a good thing. Now, as it was, I went back to her not to do the work for me. I went back and asked if she have any recommendations of who could do it, as it turned out. She, she could do some of herself, the branding stuff. She got in a branding consultant, a branding expert to do that. And I let whore manage him. So I, you know, probably cost me a little bit more money doing that. Whereas if I'd have hired him directly, you know, I, I assume as normal with these things, there'd be some kind of admin fee that she had it on for it. But it was just worth it for me to have whore managing him so that I only had to deal with whore with if there was a problem and you know she knew then as well what to expect i didn't know what to expect from the branding guy she knew exactly what to expect and made sure to um, manage it so that, that woke out for me i ended up going back again she did a good job with the initial consulting pure consulting but she also did the outsourcing bit and when i decided you know what i can't do this internally i'm going to outsource. i went back to her because she did a good knowledge transfer with the consultant i trusted her and you know we're we're still working on on the rest of it so we'll see how that goes in the future but um that's how kind of a consultant thing should go. I, You know, she she did her first bit at the beginning, gave the knowledge transfer. I did not have to go back to her. I had enough of the knowledge transfer to go to anybody else. Once I decided I couldn't do it, I could have gone anywhere else. I knew what questions to ask. It was in the report. It was in the knowledge transfer that she gave. But I went back to her. So, so that's, you know, how a good consultant works. That they do the job well. And then if you do need more, you will go back to them because they did the job well at the beginning.
0: You built that relationship based on trust because you know that she can deliver mm-hmm. and you also appreciate it. So you want to, you want to help them as well and reciprocate because A, you, it's easier to go to someone, you know, than try and find someone brand new and you're not sure about what result you might get. If you look outside of that rightly or wrongly, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I guess good enough is good enough especially when you have a very clear remit and you know what you want. And even if it's not a repeat engagement, it's a one-time engagement, it's still good to know that you have someone who's competent. So from my perspective, there was one really impressive experience I had with a consultant where our company had been inspected by a tax inspector who was specializing in freight duty and our company was importing and exporting various goods, pharmaceutical goods. What this duty inspector did was say that our documentation was non-compliant because we were basing our calculations off estimates. But I don't know if this was a really long time ago. I don't know if that was the reason why he made the claim, but it was a huge amount of money for us. It was half a million pounds and we had to find A specialist to try and dispute the claim because we thought we had a case, we'd followed the letter. There were some technical clauses in the wording of the document that they basically took another interpretation of it. So it was really that sort of sketchy kind of claim where... I think it makes you wonder if tax inspectors are actually on commission for recovering monies. <laughs> but yeah, so we, we saw, we did a market test on three different consulting firms, legal firms who were tax specialists and all three of them, the one that stood out was one who actually said, well, with this case, we, we can not only successfully defend it, but we actually are already on it case for a much larger client who's got the exact same basic grounds for their claim as you have they paid out i think it was 20 times the amount it was a um so it was um it was an eight figure sum it was like 10 million pounds and therefore they had a huge team working on it and all we had to do was piggyback our case our claim off their case and then claim precedent so If they couldn't defend 20 times the amount that they were fighting for and they were a much bigger organization, we'd have no chance anyway. So we might as well just walk away. But it saved us a lot of costs. And it also gave us peace of mind that there was someone with a lot more riding on it who was defending it tooth and nail. And she predicted that eventually they would win the case. And that's exactly how it played out. So when you're talking about real experts, real experts are able to see what's coming and predict accurately how things are going to play out and I guess when you're looking for an ideal consultant that's the sort of person you'd want in your in your organization helping you is someone who's had that experience who can give you the confidence that they know what they're doing and there may be some scenarios where things are basically unusual like it might be a brand new innovation project on something that's never been done before so you don't have precedent but if you, and maybe for those sort of things, you don't want to outsource that because that is strategic intellectual property. But if you're talking about specific problems that you're not, you don't want to solve or you're not positioned to solve, you need to f- identify who's the real expert in that area and then see if you can afford them, <laughs> if you can afford to bring them in for the, um, for the value that they will deliver to you.
1: I think, uh, you know, a large, Chunk of that as well uh, is it's not necessarily always biggest is best. I I know there's a, you know, a a professor who studies management consulting didn't think that was something that that would be studied at a university where it, it is. And one of the things he's come out where he's very vocal when when you follow him on um, LinkedIn and the likes is he's very pro-boutique consultancies that he thinks that get smaller consultants who specialise in specific areas are better in those areas than the large, sexier consultancy firms who will have a, will dip their toes into that niche, but they're not specialists in it. So the, I, I know the example you gave there with the tax, that was a large, Big consultancy who specialized in tax. So in that particular case, yes, they were the best ones, but in other types of consultancy, definitely don't, even if you're a large company, certainly for smaller companies, look to boutique, you know, consultants that they may be better place. They'd probably be cheaper if they're, they're smaller because they don't have as many overheads to, to do, but they, they may also, that particular professor has, has um, done a lot of research and he finds they tend to be simply more knowledgeable in their niche area and what they do than the larger consultancy firms.
0: Well, you need to have more focus. I personally, when I'm looking at organisations and coming from a global company myself, what you find is that HR processes, and I don't mean to knock HR, this is one specific instance where there was a policy on, promoting, having generalists rather than specialists. And that's not a bad thing because it gives you breadth of knowledge and insights. You're probably able to see the bigger picture and you can join the dots and frame the narrative and see end-to-end how things work. However, what you do lose is focus. And there's something to be said for having a depth of knowledge, at least in one area, and there may be a bit of breadth. So, you know, they talk about T-shape versus L-shape individuals. And specialists, I think it's not hard to get breadth of knowledge, but it, there is some, there is some advantage of having people who just know that area inside out. And by that, I don't mean knowing their specific task in the company that they're working in. Not only that, but just if you're doing finance you should be an expert in finance and even subdomains you know if you're a treasury expert if you're an internal control expert if you're an accounting and financial reporting expert or if you're a financial analysis expert having that depth of knowledge is clearly an advantage because you just deliver more value and the same with your consultants like I know you're an CRM sorry EPM consultant and that's your knowledge you deliver financial analysis systems replacing Excel I do transformations, so that's kind of a generalist area, but all along the lines of program management, understanding how to restructure an organization. And I think, yeah, I think it, it does make, does make the job a lot easier if you have people who are of themselves experts and, and have that specific industry and, or maybe domain experience. And I think coming back to that specific example with the consultant, Or even your consultant, she's a marketing expert, so that's her niche. Whereas if you're trying to do things, and maybe large organizations probably are well-resourced and well-staffed and they can bring in because they have the funding to bring in the resources, but then you become kind of like a, and maybe that's, that's another topic is uh, niche suppliers, best in class versus full service and being, having enough people to be great at many things versus having people who can be focused on one thing and whether that makes sense because maybe the strategy is searching for multiple solutions if you have multiple business problems <laughs> can be a job in itself and maybe you don't want that hassle and you just want enough breadth because you have so many areas that need fixing so coming back to your um, consulting expert really how much of your business do you want do you see as core versus how much of it is outsourced? So what is what is the core thing when you set up a business? What is it you do well as a business versus the other bits that you don't do well when you ideally outsource to someone who could do it better so you can focus only on the things you do well?
1: can be can be quite tough i'd imagine though for it, it depends yeah like you, you may want to um maybe that's what you're bringing into consultants to find out you know what can you outsource and what can you, you know and there are consultants i suppose management consultants that will do that specifically for you but you know part once you kind of get past that then what you're looking at is you, you kind of almost want a consultant who is um has the depth you know if, if, the breadth is who you want in your you know your your uh in your company, you know, you, you, you want, you know, your your top guy, whether it's your CEO or maybe your your director of marketing or depending on what it is, they have the breadth of knowledge that they've, you know, they have a good foundation on, in everything so they know what is. But then there's a specific area that they need more depth in. That's when you bring in the consultants who has the depth in that area, He's, you know, very niche in that. And, you know, you wouldn't have, I mean, I suppose ideally when when a consultant comes in, it's for an area that you want so much depth in for that specific ideal, but it's not a full-time job, you know, what you need them for this period of time. And nobody really has a full-time job for that level of depth of knowledge. But that's how the consultant is making it a full-time job, because they're going to several different clients who all need that depth of knowledge for their specific problem that they've got at the moment once the knowledge transfer is over they can then go and let their internal team with their breath use the depth that you've given them to continue on the consultant no longer has the role there they but they've moved on to another client who needs it and and that's you know how a consultant and i said a lot of people end up in consulting is because they they got some really deep knowledge on something in a in a permanent role that they had as an employee, but that knowledge was kind of no longer needed in that job. And they decided, you know what, rather than going back to being a, a jack of all trades, uh, you know, having the good breadth of knowledge, I'm going to take my depth of knowledge and I'm going to offer it to other companies to to get them up to, to scratch. And, you know, I think that's how a lot of people end up in consulting, certainly in small consultancy firms. That's how they end up there.
0: Yeah. After many years of doing one thing, then they become naturally the experts. Unfortunately, if it's something that has a market demand outside of their own company or their own job or career, then they can just extend it and set up a a very valuable, lucrative business, provided they have all the other bits like understanding the marketing, how to get your message out that you exist, finding those ideal clients and being able to convince them to give you a try when they need you, and then... Yeah, because it is, and and as you say, as a consultant, marketing isn't our strength. Well, unless we're marketing consultants, which we're clearly not. <laughs> but if you're not, then why not outsource that because that can get you to a result faster.
1: And I think then as well, if the consultants that you are hiring is as breadth, but not depth of knowledge, you, you're almost, are you truly hiring a consultant as such, or are you hiring a, a fractional CXO? You know, if say it's finance, if, if you're not bringing in a consultant who has a real depth of knowledge and to set up your treasury or, or something like that, but, but has a broad range and can give you some, you know, good knowledge of a CFO effectively, but you just don't have, you're not a big enough business to hire a full-time CFO. So you're bringing in a consultant to be the CFO, you know, that, that's kind of, you know, the fractional CFOs, I think. But they've got the breadth of knowledge, but not the depth. They they may have depth in a particular area, but you're you're looking for them in that regard for their breadth of knowledge. You know that the the wide range of a bit of everything to to get you your going. are But a pure consultant on a consulting role is it's the depth of knowledge that they have that they're total expert in one specific area that you need a lot of depth in. That's probably when it works best. That makes sense.
0: And yeah, a small or medium sized organization that's looking to grow maybe has a very strong controller finance head who isn't necessarily at the level of a CFO, will get there eventually, but maybe that fractional CFO can coach and mentor them to actually become and perform at the level of a CFO.
1: And and again, though, when you're doing something like that, you need to make that clear. You know, Make sure that the consultant is coming in as this fractional CFO or or whatever role they're coming in knows that the, the end goal is you're going to be here, we're hoping here for maybe two years or whatever. But the end goal is that he's our senior guy here. We want him up to scratch to be the CFO. He's got the knowledge. We think he's got the knowledge. We think he's got the ability. Just doesn't have the experience. We want you to. So you're basically coming in to train, to coach him as well as be the the CFO. Make sure that the consultant knows that because otherwise you'll get a consultant who'll just come in and be the fractional CFO and then will disappear until the next, you know, whatever it is, if it's a uh if a few days every month, they'll disappear, and there'll be no kind of guidance to the person that you're hoping would be trained up, because they didn't know that that's what you wanted. They just took it that you wanted them to to do it, and, and such as that Or the other thing is, maybe you don't have anybody who's capable of doing it, so you bring in the fractional CFO. But part of their their arena is going to be that when you get big enough to hire one, you want them to help you find them. You know that that kind of way that make sure that you know that you you've been clear with them. As the where it is. And make sure as well that, you know, the, the senior accountant who's not quite able to be a CFO yet knows that if if your intention is for them to in a couple of years take over, make sure they know that as well. Not only the consultants, but that person that, that they, the person knows this fractional CFO who's coming in is not a blocker to them. It's actually there to help them take over the job eventually.
0: And, yes, an enabler. I mean, that would be the ideal scenario. Win-win. And then the people below them. Could be um, assuming the business grows, there's opportunity, and and that's the ideal scenario. Why you know the worst failure is if people leave because they see no progression or no path to progression.
1: And especially if the case is, you know, because I've I've seen that in a few places. Generally, not me. I don't do fractional work, you know, like like that. But um, I have seen that in a few places that um somebody's handed in their notice and is is leaving because they see this advisor or consultant you know for a fractional in the examples I'm thinking of it has actually been a fractional CFO and um, come in and they're saying right well that blocks me I I can't get that job now because they brought somebody outside in to do it and they just handed in their notice and they've left they found somewhere else where they can get progression and the irony was that, that that fractional CFO was actually brought in as a placeholder until they were ready for the job
0: but nobody told them that. And it's a failure of, of communication, which, exactly, again, exactly, you actually yeah. lose value inadvertently. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: And I have seen that. I've, I've, I've seen it, that specific thing happen. <laughs> I've seen it twice. Once in a company I walked in and once in a company I was consulting in. I wasn't consulting in that area. I was on another project consulting. The, the person who left was actually a key stakeholder in my project. And they, they you know, got got notified that they were leaving, they were finishing up, which was, uh, you know, put a damper on their project because they were not only a key stakeholder, they were kind of a champion of the system that we were putting in. They were really pro it. I got from from talking to, to people like the person was leaving because they brought in the, this, this other expert in another over him, effectively. And he just felt, well, that's, you know, there's no progression now for him. So he left and he went somewhere else where he got progression. But that was the system that the person who was who he seen as the blocker was actually a placeholder until they were happy that he he had the uh was ready to move up. You well, know,
0: they should have told him that, then he wouldn't have left. <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> maybe maybe the fractional CFO had another agenda. I mean, um, that's never that's know. the other thing. Because sorry. You triggered something and it's not consultancy based, but thought it was relevant for this. When I was um, brought in to do an overseas assignment, my remit was to make myself redundant within two years. So I literally had to identify and train my replacement. And I managed to end up training three people to be promoted to senior management and they all got promoted. So but that was due to (laughs) a colleague of mine who, for various reasons, didn't actually do that job. So I had to double dip for a period midway through my assignment and um, cover two roles. But fortunately, I had identified and trained my replacement and they stepped up early in the process and they covered the role. And then whilst I could focus on my other replacement to be ready and give them the confidence, a lot of it is really about soft skills. Technically, they had it. it There's more about the people side and more about presenting themselves and how they come across And faced off to senior management.
1: But again, though, I'd imagine communication was a key part of that. Like uh, the last example that I gave, you know, they they brought in. It wasn't a fractional CFO. It was um, someone else, as I said. But they were above him. They were a blocker, and they never told that the person who was coming in on a, a contract role they never told either of them what the plan was so you know the, 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 so they lost the person that they wanted to keep up and as a the previous example was when i worked in a place where I, I was more junior and they brought in a fractional cfo and they lost the the person they brought in that fractional cfo um specifically because they were about to embark on a um, looking for venture capital and this cfo had experience in raising Capital. So they brought him in for that specific purpose, um, not to be the CFO as such, but for, for, to raise capital um, and to get everything in place. But again, they didn't, they didn't have, well, maybe they did. I wasn't senior enough at the time to know exactly. It didn't come across in any way that they, uh, it was in his remit to also help train in the, the other person. And they clearly didn't tell the other person that That it was only for one role that it was a temporary thing so that person left and they were the natural they were cfo and all but name but they had no experience at raising venture capital you know but again that was a two two examples that i've come across in uh, over my career of um people leaving because they seen somebody else coming in effectively a consultant as a blocker and the top management idea was no, they're a placeholder and, and to actually to do a very specific function and to hand over knowledge to make sure that this other person internal to the company is ready to take on that role but never told either of them and ended up losing their internal person who was like the ideal candidate for a permanent you know, more senior role. And um, so don't make those mistakes if you're thinking of bringing in a consultant on that type of a uh, remit that, you know, the idea is there a placeholder to keep you going until your internal candidate has the experience and is ready. And there'd be some kind of knowledge transfer. Make sure both of them know that's what the goal is and that that's what success is that the consultant has to know success for that consultant is that in X amount of time, this person is able to take over and they're finished. And a consultant won't mind that because the consultant will be thinking, well, if I do a good enough job here, I'll probably be kept on as an advisor or something because I've done such a good job or and yeah, even I mean, not I'll have a good referral. So I'll be able to find another role somewhere else, you know, because you will advertise for me because I did such a good job.
0: <laughs> and this is this is another thing about communication. Once you understand that things were misunderstood or not even communicated. So someone dropped the ball on that, not telling the person who left. That was the intention. But once you've realized that mistake, it's actually rectifying it as soon as possible by admitting we made a mistake by not telling you that this was always the intention. And maybe there was also some, shall we say something not explained to the consultant because maybe they thought that they were in there for longer than the two years. Maybe they said, look, you never know, but we might extend it further than that. So they're probably thinking in their head Mm -hmm. they could go on indefinitely until
1: in fairness, the um I well I don't know about the, the last one because as I said I was just working on a different project, but certainly the one back at the time where they brought the fractional CFO in, that CFO knew full well they were in for one specific thing. What was never said to them was though that they wanted them to basically be working with the internal candidate to do it. So they were just doing their walk, getting everything ready, getting making sure everything was in place, all the systems were in place. And um, that was actually the very first time I ever installed a system. I was a management accountant in the place and, um, we put in a, uh, a new ERP system. It's the first time I ever put one in that, that, that was, but that was why, like I'd already kind of recommended it, you know, as part of a, the, the thing, but, uh, that was my first experience of actually putting one in, um, was to get it ready for that. But the, the, as I said, the, um, nobody had said to, the, to that CFO, Fractional CFO, hey, you trained this person in. Um, well, not hey, train them in. He wasn't being brought in, to train them in, but hey, you know, make sure this person knows what you're doing because they have no experience in it, so we, and we want them to have this experience. He he wasn't given those instructions, so he just went and did what he was doing, and left the other person kind of sidelined, thinking that his job was to raise the funding and the other person's job was to look after finance. But then the other person saw, oh, this person's come in as a CFO. Yeah, they're saying for the, the, to raise the funding, but, um, he's a blocker to me now. I have this opportunity in another company to be the head of finance. I'm going to take it. Whereas if they just communicate it to both of them from the beginning, no, your job is to do this to to great and make sure this other person here knows how you're doing it because they're, they're our future CFO and they need to know how to do this for future. I
0: think inadvertently, if knowledge transfer was part of that, then they would have naturally gone in and shown them. So I think that could have been avoided partially by knowledge transfer, but certainly by communicating the intent.
1: That's it. And as I said, I don't think, um, I think it was just assumed by the client company that, you know, your fractional CFO and your de facto head of finance were just going to work together. But, you know, there, there was enough differentiation of what they were doing that they, they ended up not working together. And you know, cause problems, but um, it is it is a problem that you just need to to be aware of as a if you're thinking of hiring consultants for that type of purpose. Make sure that both the consultant knows and the internal candidate knows this is a stopgap measure to help the internal candidate get up to speed, um, and that the consultants knows that you're you're not really just doing this role that we've asked you. We want the knowledge transfer. We want you to effectively be training in this other person. They won't be working with you all the time. You'll be doing a lot of it. Just make sure they're aware of what you're doing and why you're doing it.
0: Yeah. And without giving away all your secrets and special source, whatever you call it, we do want you to bring in new capabilities into our organisation that we wouldn't otherwise have, whether it's a playbook, an operational process, or even upskilling the team members. So. Thank you, John. I think probably that's quite a lot of content now. So any last words before we wrap up? Any any ideas in terms of, or sorry, let me say that again. Any thoughts in terms of how to avoid missing the value opportunities from a client consulting engagement?
1: Be committed as the client company, be committed. Don't just hire a consultant because it seems like the easy thing to do. And then when you have to do a bit of work, you don't do it or you file away the report at the end of it all. So be committed to change that you'll implement what the consultant has has recommended, assuming that you're, you know, the consultant has convinced you it's correct and you know, communicate with the people involved. You know, if, if it's a certain department or it's a certain area of your business that the consultant is coming in to help do, make sure they're all aware of what the goal is and why the consultant is there. And finally make sure that there's knowledge transfer. That that whatever it is the consultant is coming in to do, there's a knowledge transfer over so that it can be continued on internally or in the company. Then you'll get the best value for money out of the consultants. And consultants will generally be happy to do that because the consultant is not going to be wanting to to be he's not going to want you to or she's not going to want you to be constantly having to come back to them for every little thing. They will want to give you a certain amount of knowledge transfer. They'll want to do a good job and they'll want to be able to leave the thing. What they will probably be hoping for is that you'll have enjoyed the work that they've done so much that you'll keep them on in a advisory capacity or something like that. But they won't necessarily want to be always there as a consultant. So, you know, they will be happy to, to, to facilitate that. And generally speaking, there'll be very few who wouldn't, I would imagine.
0: Thank you, John. And to add to that point from my side, the best way to ensure you get the maximum value is have a clear goal in terms of outcomes. Make them, make sure they're measurable to some degree and that you are in place to actually assess the value and quality of the work. Also be very careful who you select. Make sure they have not just the right attitude, but also the right technical skills and that they are able and placed to deliver on the outcomes that you're looking for and then hold them to account and Again, coming back to your point in terms of communication, keep regularly checking in to make sure they're on course and are working and progressing towards the goals that you're looking to achieve. Okay, so with that, we conclude this episode of Business Breaks. Thank you very much, John.
1: Thank you, Dante. Pleasure as always.
0: This podcast shares experiences and insights gained from business, IT, and digital finance. Hosted by two leaders who have made the leap themselves, this show is dedicated to helping listeners think differently about their career aspirations.